Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. I have good news for you guys today. Um, have you ever been in a store and you know you're like you're going to buy? I'm a shoe guy, um, and so you go to buy your favorite shoes and you go up to the store and you you lay them down and then the cashier um, says to you, "Oh, those are." Those are buy one, get one free. And you're like, oh, this is a good day. This is a good day. Well, I want to let you know this is a good day for you because we are going to finish our series in Colossians, which is, which if you, it's been about a year in the making. But to make that happen, I have a gift for you. Today is buy one, get one free. To make that happen, I had to do two sermons in a row. So this is going to be one sermon smashed together, really two sermons. So you're welcome. This is a buy one, get one free. I'm going to preach two sermons in one, and this is going to be good. No one's laughing. You guys, oh, somebody's leaving. Thanks for, I'm just kidding. Now if you had to go to the washroom, now you feel like you can't. So we're turning to our Bibles um, in Colossians. Again, it's important for us to understand we do not look to the scriptures merely for information. We turn to the scriptures for revelation. We want to know God. We, want, we don't want information to have knowledge of him. We want to know him intimately. There's a much big big difference between my understanding the stats of LeBron James and I can tell you how, why the Lakers are going to fail all day, every day next year. I, it's different for me to say that than to explain to you my relationship with my wife. See, I know my wife. I have knowledge of what his statistics are and they're very different. And sometimes we come to scripture and we're fully just engaged with our mind, not our spirit. And so when we go to look at scripture, we're asking, God, give us a revelation of who you are. We don't just want to know, and, and please understand, I'm saying we need to engage our mind as well. We're not supposed to be mindless. We are supposed to use our mind, but it's not about information, it's about revelation. And so we're going to look at um, Colossians 4, the very last chapter, and we're going to tackle verse 2 through verse 18. So let's, uh, let's get on it. Let's make it happen. If you're looking for a title, today is The Gospel in Real Life. Now, if you haven't realized, the gospel is a big deal. If you look at Paul's writings, he is writing about the gospel continuously. Jesus is his jam. He stays on it all day, every day. He does not want to skip on Jesus. Jesus is the core of his message, and he is excited about Jesus. It's all about Jesus all the time. Can I get an amen? amen. And we should be about Jesus all the time. Hmm. So let's go ahead and open up the word. Verse 2, Brenda Last week, did a great sermon about husbands and wives and children, um, and it, it was fantastic. I love that, that message. If you missed it, please go online. It was awesome. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind 
and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his, his mysterious plans, plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Let's just read that for one more time, just to just throw it out there. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will, be, you will have the right response for everyone. Have you ever been to the place where you've got, you, you are, you know, leaving the house and leaving instruction or leaving jo your job for a couple days and you have to leave maybe an intern or somebody you maybe don't trust so much. Um, I remember my mom used to, we weren't allowed to stay home a lot in the beginning. My mom, she was a single mom. And so when she got saved, she got radically saved. Like she was like straight up we didn't go to church, and then we were in church like seven days a week, all the time. My mom led worship in shoulder pads and a tambourine. Like, it was like, she was, she was there in the 90s. It was great. It was great for my self-esteem. Um, <laughs> it was brutal. But anyways, um, my mom, I'm the youngest of three, two older sisters, really just having three moms, but... Um, my mom would leave us with instructions, and as she's leaving, once we hit a certain age where we could stay home, she would, she would look at us, mostly me, and say, the dishes must be done. Yeah, 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 good. It's good, mom, it's good. The dishes must be done. She'd go about her business, then as she's leaving, she would say, the dishes, Alexander, the dishes must be done. I'm like, totally, totally, it's gonna be done. They were never done. Well, they were done because my sisters would get mad. They would have to wash the dishes. They were like, if, we don't, if you don't do the dishes, we're going to get in trouble. Do the dishes. I'm like, I don't see the logic. <laughs> so they're like, fine, we'll do the dishes. It was great. Sorry, babe. My wife pays for that. Actually, funnily enough, I do the dishes. God wins. God wins. <laughs> I do the dishes. Anyways. But right, this is what happens. When we're going, when we're leaving, we give those final instructions and we... We take all the stuff away and we just boil it down to the main point. We're like, listen, I need you to know just the last instructions before I walk out the door. Do this, this, and this. So this is Paul. Paul is finishing his letter and this is what he writes. He says, devote yourself to prayer and be alert, an alert mind and a thankful heart. He's giving us the instructions to this church. Now, just to give us a background again, who is the church of Colossae? It is a church that Paul has never been to. Paul is the writer. Where is Paul? Paul's in prison. And Epaphras, one of his disciples, that he was preaching the gospel in um, Ephesus, he got saved, Epaphras got saved, and he actually went to this place called Colossae and he built the church. And he comes to visit Paul in jail and he begins to tell him about this church. And he's saying, oh, in our culture, you know, there's, there's worship of angels. And you know, they're, they're really wrestling with the truth um, of, the, of the importance of Jesus and his sovereignty. And so Paul goes, what? 
no, Jesus is my jam. I gotta, I gotta help you on this. So he, he sits down, he's in jail and he writes this letter to a church he's never even met. But he is like, listen, you need to get Jesus right. So if you're wondering what Colossians is about, what's the main scope of it? It's this. Paul is writing to this church saying, Jesus is Lord and he is the all-sufficient Savior. He's saying everything you need is found in him. If you're looking for key verses, you can write it down. It's pretty much uh, Colossians 2, 9, and 10. Colossians 2, 9, and 10, that's, the, that's kind of the scope of this verse. But here we go. We're going to do write down sermon number one. Four legs of your faith. You're like, I don't have four legs. What are you talking about? I'm talking about a ch table, a chair, stable. Now, we need to understand Paul has just taken the entire book to lay the foundation that Jesus is everything. Jesus is the foundation. And so if you add these as just religious rules and not have the foundation of Jesus Christ being the Lord and Savior of your life, it won't work. You'll just be a religious person following rules. That's not what he's going at. So let's not strip away what the whole book is about and just say, oh, he's teaching this. No, no, no. He's laying the foundation. Think of the top of the table. It's all about Jesus. Everything's Jesus. Now, how do we, this church, Colossae, how do we actually live out this faith? So here we go. Number one, he says this. Pray. Verse two through four, he says, devote yourselves to prayer and with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Listen to how many times he says pray. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That, we, that, that is why we are in chains. Pray that I will proclaim the gospel. It's so interesting. Paul is actually, he's actually going back to the beginning of the letter, and he's saying, hey, I wanna remind you, I showed you what I do in my prayer life. When I open the letter, verse three, verse nine, verse 12, uh, chapter one, he says, I actually pray over you with thanksgiving. I am constantly praying. I am constantly praying. He's letting them know like, hey, I want you to actually notice that I'm saying you should do what I showed you I was doing. It's so good. When, I don't know about you, but when I started praying, I remember we went to Bible college and uh, one of the things that they were really passionate about was prayer. Makes sense. Um, I hadn't prayed that much in, in my life as a teenager. Um, and they were like, we're going to teach you to pray. I'm like, sweet. By putting you in a room for an hour a day and you're just going to learn. Like an hour a day just by myself? This is great. Right? And so I was like, how do I, how do I know? And, and one of the best things that I ever was shown is somebody taught me and showed the example of how to pray. And so I learned by example. And so Paul is giving them the example of how to pray. As I was going through this and studying, you know, you know we can do this, right? Like I always say that it's revelation, not information, because it's, it's for me. As I was studying, I was in information, reading commentaries, trying to understand the original word for, for prayer, how it applies, and those are all good things. And the Holy Spirit said this, Alex, you worry, Paul prayed. Right? 
But let's be honest. How many of us worry instead of praying? Man, how do we get to the place where our actual first response is to fall to our knees and pray about something? You know, you get that bill in the mail that you weren't expecting or that the U.S. said that they were going to cover with your insurance, but then your insurance didn't cover it. This is a hypothetical. And you're like, oh, man, I don't have 1700 U.S. dollars. What is going to happen now? And you don't freak out. You fall to your knees and say, Father. Right? Am I the only one? No, no, no. See, what, what happens is we worry Paul prayed. And so we've got to get to the point where we can say, like Paul in, in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. That pause was for anybody flipping, if you want to. I didn't hear anybody flip, but. <laughs> it says this. Do not worry. That word worry is that same word that Jesus uses in Matthew um, 6. It's the same meaning, which is this. Divided mind. It means that you have a mind here and a mind there. I don't know about you, but when I get really worried, I can't even watch TV. I'm like, I'm like trying to zone out, trying to self-medicate by watching something, but I can't even sit straight because I'm so worried and it's eating me alive and my mind is two places. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you could understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that is where I want to live. Man, to be confronted with something that is falling apart and it is core to who you think you are and what you do is not freak out, but you pray with thanksgiving. Like, are you kidding me, Paul? With thanksgiving? We're like, thank you for this trial. Yeah, but you read Paul's letters. That's, what, how, that's, how he, that's how he talks. Because he understands that there is power in prayer. See, we all know that prayer is a big deal. If I said there are four things that Paul's gonna teach us about living out our faith, they're the four legs of our faith, you could probably guess if you spent any time around church at all, you could probably throw out there that prayer is going to be one of them. The problem is, is do we really, really believe in the power of prayer? Because Paul does. How do we know this? Oh, because Paul prays when he's in the middle of a prison. I'm calling my lawyer. I'm calling my mom. I'm calling everybody to get me out of there. No, Paul's, Paul's praying. He's worshiping. So one simple thing about how to express your prayer life, how to actually pray, right? Because it's, it's not one of those things that we all know it's important, but what does it really look like? And so I want us to begin at the very basics, a lot of different things. There's a lot of different methods out there that you can follow, and we have some, and I believe they're powerful. But if we don't understand at the base how we enter the relationship with God, then we'll do it all wrong. See, when we go into relationship, we've been programmed to be transactional, not relational. 
See, we're transactional in the sense of if I give you this, then I receive this. That's not the kingdom relationship. It's a child-father relationship. So when you pray, I want us to think about this. This is the key thing. Praying is talking to your dad. That's the simple thing. Talking to your dad. Now, I got, when I thought of this, I had two examples that came up really quick. My four-year-old, she naturally talks a lot. And she naturally talks to me. Now, if somebody went to her and said, listen here, Eloise, you need to talk to your father. She would look at me like, with her big, beautiful blue eyes, she'd be like, be like, what's wrong, babe? Why are you staring at me like that? Because she'd be afraid. But this is how we teach prayer. You need to talk to God, people. Come on, church. No, 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 no. Look at a child with their father, with their parent. How natural is it the first person they speak to is their parents? And they continuously develop that conversation with their father. This is how we need to be. As we grow, look, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us to be reborn into our faith. And so if we think about that as we are reborn into our faith and we come as immature and we are trying to grow, we just need to simply talk with our dad. Yeah, and sometimes that just starts with little conversations. Dad, I don't know what to say, but I love you. I love this. One pastor said this, you know, we always, get a, we always give each other a hard time and, and you always fake that you weren't praying, but you were kind of like um, Pentecostals call it soaking when they're laying on the floor. They're really praying, uh, but they're sleeping. Um, and, and I love it. One pastor said this, you know what? As a father, I never got mad at my kids when they fell asleep in my arms. You know, if we're spending time with God and we fall asleep and we understand that he's our father, I think it's pretty cool that we can spend time with God and we can sleep in his arms. Second image I got was this. Um, my dad and I have a, have, yeah, a, good, a good relationship, but a, a deep one, and there's a lot that goes on in that. Um, but I will say this. My dad has always wanted me to succeed, and he's always been very responsible with money. And I know that if I have financial issues or have financial questions, the first person I, I call is my father. Because I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, I'll call my dad. He'll know what to do. Oh, so good. This is our relationship with God. We make prayer into like, okay, make sure you say the right things. And, but really imagine if I called my father and was like, thou art great to hear from you, dad. He'd be like, yes. I'd be like, I haveth a question for thou. <laughs> like, why are you talking to me like that? Right? Like, like we, we're funny sometimes when we have these things. But if we just talk to God as our dad, he would walk us through so many things. One of the greatest things he's ever taught me is that he's my father. And there's been countless times where I'm like, <sighs> I'm way out of my depth. And I just say, dad? I need you, and I promise you, he comes in and he walks with me and he gets me through what I think I could never get through. 
So first is prayer. I know if you guys are like, this is two messages, you're on one point one. You're freaking out. Don't worry. Point two, thankfulness. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and with a thankful heart. You know what's cool about this word that he uses, thankful? Um, the original word is actually an active um, step of gratitude, best expressed, it said, in worship. So um, the picture is, if you receive something, the, the act, the word that's used there is this act of gratitude that you're overwhelmed with. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been able to bless somebody out of the blue or somebody blesses you with something you could have, like in your wildest dreams you would have never thought of? I remember uh, we, were, we were in Florida for our third year, um, and my wife and I, and she, we weren't dating at the time, but she needed a car and she, she had no money for it. Um, and the best option she had was somebody was like, hey, we can let you borrow our bike. Well, it's Florida and it's like 97 degrees every day. So it's not a good option, but it's better than walking, I guess. So she was, she was very thankful for the bike, but here was the actual plan. The family had gone around to businessmen and asked them to donate and they had, they had purchased her a, a Ford Focus 2005 one-year-old car, and they were gonna give it to her when she was thinking she was gonna go there to receive a bike. And so she goes there, and she is like, okay, ready for the bike, and they open the garage, and there's a car there, and she's, she's like, what? And they said, this is your car, and we've paid for six months of insurance for you just to get you started. I can tell you, my wife is, is very humble and very quiet, um, and, and not, she doesn't love receiving extravagant gifts, and so she was overwhelmed, and it was this gratitude that bubbled over, and we, we had that car, we just got rid of it, like, sad, last fall, but um, it, was, it was this blessing that we continuously gave thanks for. And it just overwhelmed and bubbled out of us, out of, well, her, and then I was blessed through it. Um, let's turn to uh, chapter 2, verse 6. This is, what, this is what Paul means when he's saying being thankful. Verse 6 and 7, he says this, And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, watch the progression, accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, and you must continue to follow him. It's not enough Church, it's not enough just for us to raise a hand and, and attend church. We have to follow Christ. The way Christ lives is the way we must live. We are following his example. Let your roots grow deep into him. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong. In the truth you were taught. And you will be overflow, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Man, as I grow in my faith, I thought I was excited about Jesus when I got saved. I am more excited about Jesus now than I ever have been because I am rooting my life, building it on him and realizing his love never fails. He is always there with me. When I need him, he never walks away from me, but actually he picks me up and carries me through the hardest times. This is the gospel. This is why we're excited. And Paul's saying, listen, that second leg of the table man it's got to be thankfulness and when you are thankful it will show 
Man, the church. Church, we need to pray. Church, we need to be thankful. And the world will notice that we are different. Point three, it says this. He says, live the gospel. Verse five and six, he says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Man, that is like super practical. Anybody who ever asked me like, hey, you know, the Bible just seems so out of touch. I'm like, ah, you gotta read some of the, like that's a good verse right there. That's incredibly practical. The problem is it that there are just areas in my life that I actually don't submit to him, right? Like there are areas in my life that, that I want God to move in my whole life, but for some reason I hold on to, or maybe I don't even know need to change. For example, I hadn't played soccer for a couple years and, and I used to play competitive travel soccer. And I don't know if you know this, I'm a pretty intense individual. And I, pay, I, I decided to play a co-ed league with my wife because that would be fun for our relationship. <laughs> no, don't worry, I knew better than to yell at my wife. Are you serious? So here we are, we're at a soccer game and we're playing the best team. And for me, this is a big deal because I always want to beat the best. So. And I think strategy, I think. <laughs> and so literally we're playing and our defender in the middle of the game which is normal, you know, you just do this, just runs off the field. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you running off the field for? I think she or he was tired. And I'm like, who's on left defense? Who's on left defense? And I'm freaking out, like I'm intense. I'm like, are you serious? Who's on left defense? Who's on left defense? Like I'm like literally, that is what it looks like probably, maybe a little bit more intense, eh babe? Um, and, <laughs> And the convener of the team, or the guy who put the team together, which I wasn't even part of their, their work team, I was invited on. <laughs> he turns around and he's like, dude, this is a recreational league. And, I, and literally, it was like he went, what? And that's where aggressive Alex went, and Pastor Alex went, what are you doing? So I'm like, I literally am so embarrassed. I am, I am, I am dying. Like literally, I am inside. I am so embarrassed that at halftime, I'm like sheepishly walk to the halftime circle. I'm like, guys, I just have to, I'm a bit intense. And I really need to apologize. I'm really sorry. They're like, it's okay, man. I'm like, ah. Oh. And like still, I'm still a little bit embarrassed. Even when I tell the story, it's still a little bit embarrassed. Embarrassing, but isn't this true about us? And we can joke because there's funny times that that happens, but there's not so funny times that it happens, right? And your kid might do something or your spouse might do something and then the Incredible Hulk comes out and you're like, where did that come from? Well, what's happening is that he's saying, you need to live wisely. See, we need our lives to look different. He's saying church, Church in Colossae, here's what I need you to do. I need you to live wisely among unbelievers. This means you 
are aware of how you live. When you drive, don't act different than church. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you're on the soccer field, don't leave your Christianity on the side. Try to be a good person. So he breaks it down to two things. He says this, your actions, make sure that you live wisely, make sure your actions are like this. And you wonder, what are your actions? Well, let's turn to Galatians, Galatians 5. And I like to, I like to break it down like this. Paul gives us an example. He writes another letter to another place, a region called, um, what is it called again? Galatia, thank you. Um, and he's, it's, a, it's both modern day uh, Turkey, and he's saying this, he's giving you the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And he's saying this, here's what your actions look like when you live by the fruit of the spirit. Verse number not 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger on soccer fields. No, that doesn't, oh. Um, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just in case we ever wondered that the New Testament is light on sin, it's not. Okay, sign up. Um, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Oh, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's what your life should look like, church. It should look like it has love abounding. It has self-control. It has all of these expressions, gentleness. When someone comes at you with rage, you respond in kindness. Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. You have no idea. This person cannot talk to me like that. Do you know who I am? Right? This is how we act, but that's not a kingdom mentality. A kingdom mentality is, is humility, is kindness, is gentleness. And you know what the church says we need to do. You must work harder to produce that. Eh, wrong, we fail when we work harder. You know what we need to do more of? Submit more, submit to the Holy Spirit. Let him do the work that works so deep in us. Build our lives in Christ and then the fruit. It says the thankfulness that we need, it will come out flowing from our lives. Second thing he says that we need to look at when we talk about living the gospel is our words. He's very clear about this. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. I don't have a lot of time to stay there. Let's just say that includes posting stuff. All right, moving on. James 1:26 says this. If you claim to be religious but do not control your tongue, you are a fool. No, I'm, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Man, that's pretty basic. Our lives as believers need to communicate the gospel. Listen to this quote, I love it. 
Preach the gospel at all times. And sometimes use words. I love that. It's amazing. We need to use our lives to preach the gospel. We need people to ask us a question. Why are you nice to that jerk in our office? Thank you for asking. But let me tell you this. The real and the full gospel cannot just be shown. It must be proclaimed. The social gospel is not the full gospel. If we were to feed every person who needed food and we were to house them and give them clothes, these are all good and amazing things. And the Bible is very clear that we must, must, must take care of orphans and widows and those who are in need. So do not mistake in me. That is an amazing thing, but it is not the full gospel. The full gospel must be proclaimed. It must be told. No one is going to come to you and be like, you gave me a piece of bread and now I believe Jesus is my savior. No, you must tell them that Jesus transformed your life. That's why you're giving them bread. That's why you're giving them a blanket. That's why you're opening your house. That's why you're nice to people when they're not nice to you because Jesus was nice to you when no one else was nice to you. He saved you from the dirt and the mire and he picked you up. He put himself on the cross and he gave you a life you never deserved. This is why we proclaim the gospel. Come on church, we are excited. So yes, your life must proclaim the gospel through your actions, but please let's not be mistaken. Paul says this, he does say on my other sheet, he says, Somewhere. Come on. I'm right there. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. So yes, be loving and caring and kind and think about, ask the Holy Spirit to take over your tongue when you're at family reunions, or maybe that's just my family. But, but he does, he finishes not just with that. Look, if we are just nice people doing nice things, it's not the gospel. Here's what he says so that you will have the right response for everyone. Live wisely among those who are not believers, making the most of every opportunity. He is saying, be ready, be ready to just share your story. What's Jesus's story in your life? I used to think, man, my story's so lame. I was never a drug dealer. I was never a big deal. I was never a big sinner. And oh, yes, you were, Alex. You were far from him. And just because you thought you were normal and you didn't have big sins doesn't mean that you don't have a story. Oh, I have a Jesus story. See, Jesus transformed my life. Jesus transformed your life. And you have a story. And you need to live the gospel, but you also need to proclaim the gospel. Oh, and the gospel is so beautiful. In Colossians 1.6, go with me to Colossians 1.6. This is the gospel. He says this, this same good news, which is the gospel, in some translations it will say the gospel, it just means Jesus crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, that came to you, is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? Everywhere, by changing lives, just as it changed your lives. Galatians 6, 15 says this, 
It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. This is the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that it transforms our lives. Now quickly, we're going to go to Colossians, the rest. This is, we're going part B sermon right here. We can do it. Come on, everybody. Let's get excited. Yes, I promise you, nine minutes. Here we go. I need to be in the right book. All right, here goes my Greek names, ready? Verse seven, Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am, now Paul is writing his farewells and he's letting people know this is kind of like here are the people coming to you, here are the people I wanna honor, here are my friends. Why is it important? Because the Bible is written by people, God wrote through people to people. Why does that matter? Because God loves people. Why does that matter to you? You are a person. I think so. <laughs> so we matter. We matter. God loved people back then. God loves us. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. First person I want to let you know about is Tychicus. I'm going to call him Ty because I don't want to Tychicus. I don't want to say something silly. So Ty is an interesting fellow. This is the beauty of the gospel. So it takes, it takes us from where we are and it propels us into who God has created us to be. So Tychicus, he's just here. He's in the story. We see him a handful of times. You know his job in the Bible? He's a postman. He's just Paul's postman. Which seems to you and I, you know, that's a pretty insignificant job. It doesn't seem very important. But let's, let's really see the scope of what he was doing. So many scholars believe that he was carrying the letter to the Colossians, the letter to Philemon. They also believe that he was most likely carrying the letter to the church in Ephesus, which we call um, Ephesians. This man, who we would just look as a letter carrier, he delivered these gospels, these messages to these churches so that 2,000 years from now, from then, that we could sit here and learn from them. See, it may seem as insignificant to him. Maybe like, oh, letter carrier, really? I want that job, right? Because this is human nature. He might have looked at somebody else and been like, man, I just want to be like him. Why couldn't Paul send me out like Timothy and I could have settled the church or I could have. But he just had these letters that he needed to deliver. And because of it, we are still reaping the benefits of Tychicus's faithfulness. See, my question to you is if, if you're here and you feel like you don't have gifts. You feel like you're insignificant. You feel like God couldn't really use you. What happens if he asks you just to deliver a letter? It seems insignificant. It seems unimportant. But it could change lives for generation upon generations. Let's go on. 
Jump with me to verse 8. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you know how we are doing and encourage you. I am sending Onesimus, a faithful, beloved brother, one of your very own. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that happened, that is happening here. Onesimus is my next man I want, I want to highlight. Man, we look at him, we're like, wow, what a, what a great guy. Onesimus, amazing, used by Paul, sent out. He's, he's literally Paul's mouthpiece to this church. He must be a big deal, kind of but his story's insane, insane. So he starts off as a slave. And if you read the, the letter to, to Philemon, it's all about Onesimus. See, Onesimus was Philemon's slave and Onesimus actually ran away. And in those days, you weren't a person as a slave, you were property. So if you ran away, that was, you were, you were committing a crime that was equal to death. He could kill you and take your life. But not only did Onesimus run away, he figured, hey, if you're gonna kill me for running away, I might as well rob you as well. And so he stole from Philemon. Somewhere along the line, he comes across Paul. Paul preaches the gospel to him and he changes. It says that Paul, look, he goes from being a thief and a deserting slave, which we don't really understand. It would be the equivalent of the day today of somebody escaping from jail and then robbing a bank. You know, they're, they're not necessarily, it'd be, it'd be a pretty cool movie, but um, they're not necessarily good people. They're, they're looked as, as outcasts, outlaws. And here we are, it says this. This is how Paul proclaims Onesimus. He is a faithful and beloved brother one who I'm sending out to proclaim the gospel to you. He goes from being an outcast and an outlaw. The gospel comes into his story and transforms him. Crazy. Lastly, I want to talk about John. Um, he lists John here. John simply is this. In, in Acts 15, John or sorry, Mark. Mark walks away from Paul, doesn't want to work with Mark any longer because he has deserted them in Acts 15. The next time we see Paul mention him is in Colossians 4. And I just want to encourage you. I felt like the Holy Spirit say this. There are some people here who feel like they've walked away from their calling They've walked away from what God has laid on their heart, maybe as a teenager, maybe as a couple years ago. God needs you to know that he's a God of restoration. That he's never finished. He always has a plan. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.